See, I'm just starting to do so now. Thank you. Um, so th this passage, first of all, is, is prophetic. People understood that if this is what God is really like, then he must do something. Uh, when is he going to? So it became a passage that Jewish people had in their hearts, longed for, probably prayed for, kept saying, send your Messiah, send your Messiah, so that all the resources of heaven will come to help your people on earth. And hundreds of years after these words were first uttered and written by Isaiah, Jesus opens the scriptures in a little synagogue in rural Israel and said, says, today's the day. This is the moment when the God of heaven is going to reveal himself and not just speak, but act on your behalf in a way you've never known it before. And as a result, we have a, a, words that are actually of universal appeal. Good news for the poor. Well, it's only the rich who are rich enough to buy the good news of life for themselves. That Here it's good news for the poor. It's binding up the brokenhearted. And my goodness, how many people, even today, even in St. Saviour's, have got broken hearts over one thing or another in their lives? Bind up the brokenhearted. Freedom, a universal concept of human greatness. Freedom, comfort, release from darkness. And Jesus says, it's now, it's begun to happen. It is going to happen through me. And I love the passage because it's, uh, it's almost impossible, and yet it's not impossible to a God who is able to do the impossible, to exchange uh, a crown of beauty for ashes, for exchange oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit, a spirit of despair. You know, God's commitment to us is true in the most difficult circumstances of life, as well as his companionship with us, in the easier times of life. But I also love this passage because God spoke to me through it at a very significant time in my life when I was a fresh-faced young vicar in my 30s. Yes, that is quite a long time ago now. And I experienced the fresh anointing of the Spirit. And as I was asking God where, what I should do now, and to be honest, I was really tempted and thinking maybe the Church of England isn't the place for me to do it with all its various restrictions on... Uh, the ministry of the Spirit and the possibilities of ministry. And I thought, could I become a vineyard pastor? And one day God spoke to me through the scripture, basically saying that he was going to use me and what God was doing in our church in North London to rebuild on the ancient foundations in the Anglican church and to new places, church buildings and communities and neighbourhoods which had been ruined for generations, in other words, hadn't known God's love and grace. And it was a very exciting thing over the years to see the church growing, the community being changed, and then being able to enable, um, through the ministry of New Wine that I was invited into, to speak into the lives and numbers of different churches around the country, and seeing God indeed doing exactly what he said he would do, rebuild on ancient foundations, and renew ruined places that have been ruined for generations. But even in the last ten days, this... Uh, uh, passage has resonated with me in a fresh way. As I was preparing, I was invited to write a recommendation, a commendation for a friend of mine who's written a book about her last, sort of, her life, really. She's a single woman in, her, in, in, in our church in her 50s, and 15 years ago she was working for Medair in Sudan when she met a 10-year-old girl carrying a newborn baby, her baby, that had been conceived through rape in a war-torn world. 
And in conversation, she then discovered that this girl had become been a victim of FGM at the age of five. And Anne-Marie describes her feelings. What could I do? As a white London-based human resources consultant, I was neither doctor nor nurse, spoke only a smattering of Arabic and Swahili, and I was not sure I knew how I could help stop this happening to other girls like this one. I called out to God and said, who will help girls like this? And to my amazement, I heard an audible voice say, you will. And the book describes Anne-Marie's life since then, including birthing a charity dedicated to research about an eradication of FGM in Africa. A life of incredible significance. And I want to extend to everybody the possibility of living a life of significance. And it starts with modelling our lives around the one who's lived the most significant life of any human being that's ever walked this planet, Jesus himself. And that's why uh, this passage has sometimes been described as Jesus' manifesto. And it's a manifesto not just for him and his work, but the ministry and mission that he calls all of us into even uh, 20 centuries later. And when we understand the significance of what he did and when by the power of the Spirit, anointed like him, we start to do the same things, then our lives, insignificant as we might often think they are, become lives of extraordinary significance, just like Anne-Marie, my friend, who wrote the book. So when Jesus picks up the, this scroll with this passage in it, as it's recorded in Luke chapter 4, just a little synagogue in rural Israel, initially people laugh at him. And he walks out of the synagogue and then finds another place where people are more willing to listen to him. And immediately in this second synagogue that he visits, a man who's been imprisoned and tortured by evil thoughts and spirits is set free from them. Uh, a little later, a woman who is uh, has an acute fever, she's probably on the point of death, and already the relatives are gathering expecting to mourn her death, and that woman is healed. And then the, the, the poor start queuing for Jesus to heal them. It's interesting, it's normally the poor in life that have to queue most often in life. So when the crowds come, brought by their, when people bring their friends, it's probably all the poor and everyone who doesn't feel that they'd be invited into the synagogue who then start to queue to meet this extraordinary teacher, healer. And Jesus does exactly what he said he would do. What sort of man was Jesus to live a life this significant? Was everything rosy for him? Of course it wasn't. We know that. He was not immune from the pain that he came to free us from. In fact, he walked into the middle of it himself. He knew what it was like to be assaulted by Satan. Uh, the temptation in the desert was his own lockdown when he was hungry, in pain and lonely. He knew what it was like to be imprisoned by the expectations of other people, of his family, of religious leaders. He knew what it was like to grieve, to mourn like we do, whether it was the death of a friend, Lazarus, whom he then raised, of course, or the murder of a family member, his cousin, John the Baptist. He lived through 
that personal pain of crucifixion, excruciating pain on the cross, while watching his life's work of training his disciples disappear from his eyes, they all deserted him. That must have been awful. And then he felt the darkness and despair of being abandoned by God himself. Why have you deserted me? So not only did he come to set us free, but he actually came to embrace. And we know he set us free because three days later the tomb was empty. It couldn't hold him. He broke free and he sought out his disciples and he breathed peace and a future over them, calling them, empowered by his spirit, to continue the ministry that he'd begun. So his significance, huge as it was at the time, multiplies through the ages and the church is now a worldwide church rather than just stuck as a little sect in uh, first century Israel. And we, his family today, individually and corporately are called into this same ministry and mission and thereby to live extraordinarily significant lives even if we might think ourselves as relatively insignificant. So let's have a look uh, at his followers just for a moment. Those who receive ministry from Jesus become those who take his love to others. They, those who have been in despair, those who have been mourning, uh, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. Now, what I want you to do, I'm sure you've done this many times before, but to do it again after sometime today if you can, is to think of your own story. The story of the way in which you have received the ministry of Jesus' love and setting you free. The story of when he stepped into your time of mourning or your time of despair, your time of darkness, your time of ashes. Because it's your story of you in that place and Jesus setting you free from that. It's your story of weakness that those to whom you still tell your story will most identify with in you. They might like your strength and they might long for your strength, but until they know that you were once weak like them, they won't relate to you and listen to the story. But if you tell the story of you, you in your moment of weakness, then they can identify such that they are then looking for the same source of help and way out of that place that you yourself were able to receive through the ministry of Jesus. Uh, the, the main beneficiaries of Jesus' ministry, of God's love, are, aren't those who apparently had their lives apparently altogether. They were those whose lives were falling apart. And the paradox of, is that the moments of our greatest weakness often become the moments of our greatest inspiration, strength and future ministry. So for my friend who wrote the book, that moment of being overwhelmed by the need that she saw in Sudan and this little girl and the thought of FGM and all the people who are suffering from it, at that moment, overwhelmed, she said it was like a shard going into her heart. She cries out to God and that becomes the transforming moment whereby she's committing now the next period of her life to doing something. Uh, it surprises her that it became what it did became, namely a charity sought after by government for its research 
government for its research into what has really happened in these nations in Africa. You may notice that on the bookshelf behind me I have a book called Paradoxology. It's a great book by Krish Kandaya because it, this is one of those types of paradoxes of the Christian life that as we embrace them they actually become life transforming and foundational for us as we live lives as followers of Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 2 of this uh, little passage Jesus comforts, Jesus provides. You may have heard this said before, but both of those two words are actually, two, each of them is two words put together. Jesus comforts, that means that he come, he's with, and he forts, comes with strength. So when it says Jesus comfort, it means Jesus comes to us with strength. We don't have to provide the strength to get out of the pit of despair, the oppression of ashes, etc. It's Jesus that comes to us with those things in order to bring us out of it. And of course that's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he goes on to say, my grace is, God goes on to say, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And the second uh, thing that that verse says is Jesus provides. He comforts, he comes to us, he's present with us, with, with his strength, and he provides. That's again two little words, pro, uh, that means before, and uh, vision, video comes from vision, which means sees. So it means he sees ahead of where we are. So we don't know what the future holds for us, but when Jesus comes to us in our weakness, he knows what the future of our life is going to be. And he comes to us to strengthen us on the one hand and to give us the resources we need and walk with us through the rest of our life, always guiding us into both what is best for us and how our lives can be significant for others. So I, I want to have a couple of stories as I come to a conclusion. One is a personal one, one is about a, another friend of mine. Uh, my story, in weakness. So here I am as a young vicar. I, I, I was converted at the age of 17. I'm now a vicar. It's, I'm about 34 at this time, I'm, I'm thinking about. And um, in the middle of a Christian conference on the, uh, in Brighton, and I, I'll tell you why I mentioned it, but it being in Brighton in a minute, um, I find myself crying desperately before the Lord in the worship. I thought I'd got my life relatively together. I'd recently had a fresh filling of the Spirit. I was overwhelmed by God's love again for me. And suddenly I start remembering things in my teenagers that happened to me. When I was uh, consistently abused as a teenager. And the pain that that caused me. The guilt that I felt as a result of it. And the shame that I felt at the time suddenly came to the surface of my memory. In a way it hadn't done for the intervening uh, uh, nearly 15 to 20 years. And I thought, Lord, how can I lead a church when I'm carrying all this stuff in my life? Brighton, the sea, rocks. That means that you can walk along the beach and you can shout to God. You can cry out your pain and the sound of the waves crashing on the rocks means that stones means that no one can hear you. <laughs> so that, I remember, two days running, uh, I wasn't in all the conference, and in the evening I was walking along the beach, wailing before God on the one hand, crying out to him for his help. 
And then in a conversation with somebody else who was attending the, the conference, a friend of mine, as I talked about all that I was processing, this man just spoke over me the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and the provision of Jesus. And all those doubts I had, that had come to the service about, surface about my own security, insecurity, I should say, rather than security, about my identity, about my ability. In a sense, God was saying, John, I, I love you as you are, and I'm going to make you into the person that you need to be if you will just commit yourself to continuing to love me and follow me, then I will lead you into the future and you will discover it's something worthwhile. And when I talk to people who are struggling with their own identity on the one hand, their, their feelings of insecurity on the other, or their feelings about their teenage years and what they were involved in or the ways in which they might have been abused, if I'm able to mention my own story, then sure as ever they are more easily able to look to the help, same help that I myself received, which is for me the only person that's able to give true help that's truly life-changing and that's Jesus himself. So think of your story, don't be, don't gloss over the most difficult times and as you're able to articulate your story in the way in which Jesus came to you in your moments of weakness, those will become the most powerful things in your life. And the story of a friend. And I tell this story because I got this email only two or three days ago. The end of this week is a story about what happens in COVID times. And so this may be where some of you are right now. Um, this is a story about a, a woman in our little church who um, has had a career in vocal coaching and choir leading. She'd been a single foster uh, mother. Uh, she'd set up a charity uh, working for victims of trauma in Sierra Leone and Uganda. And then, having just launched that, COVID hit. No international travel, no music industry, no income, no purpose, nothing that she had thought her life was going to be about was going to be happening as far as she could see. Tears galore. She was uh, a regular member of our Connect group until about October, and then, overwhelmed by life, um, she withdrew. Well, she's come back on the scene, and she wrote this, this week to me. I know I told you I sunk into a deep depression in October. I couldn't see a way out or how to earn money. The music industry isn't coming back anytime soon. Well, my brother set up a blank website for Think NVR. NVR means no nonviolent resistance. He sent it to me with a message, when you're ready, take the plunge, make this website and go public in the UK with what you do in Africa with, eight, with HTR. That's, that's her charity. That ties your work life and your charity life together. At Christmas, I felt God say to me, you lost a lot this year, but you won't let go of your comfort. If you let go of your comfort, I will sh be able to uh, show you the path that I want, you, want for you. I didn't know, she goes on to say, it was God's, whether it was really God saying it to me or me making it up. But then I realised I had nothing to lose, so I set up Think NVR and went public with it. And already the local social services are asking me to do a 10-week course for their adopters, I have a few folk booked in on the full uh, nonviolent resistance course and some others booked in for one-to-one -one ad hoc sessions. 
Parents and carers are feeling value from it and I feel like I have purpose again for the first time in my life. Letting go of vocal coaching and choir leading was hard as I've done it for decades. But I had to let go to receive what God saw for me. She concludes, God is so trustworthy and totally has a plan even when we can't see it or are too scared to follow it. Covid loss was the kick and the rock bottom I needed to hear God, trust him and make the jump. i just written at the bottom of that email as I printed it out. He turned my mourning into dancing. That's loss, that's pain, that's grief that many of us go through over all sorts of things and often it's cyclical in life. We experience it once and then we can experience it again for something else. But each time it happens, we know it's not the end because Jesus can both come to us to comfort us and to provide for us. Now, some would be thinking, even as I finish speaking, I wish that had happened to me and it hasn't. This is where we need to stick together. One day, it will. It happens for individuals at different times. And in the Bible it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When it happens for someone, take it as a sign from God that it's going to happen one day for everyone. If it hasn't happened for your friend, make sure that your joy in what God has done for you doesn't overwhelm them in their sadness of what doesn't yet, hasn't yet happened for them. And find a way, if you can, of expressing the fact, the fact that it's happened to one member of the body of Christ means that it's going to happen one day for every single member of the body of Christ. For we know the end of the story. The end of the story, as it's written in Revelation chapter 21, is that he will wipe away every tear from our eye, and in the end, everyone that's been mourning will have their mourning turned into dancing. This is the new heavens and the new earth. This is why we finish, the Bible finishes, even so, come Lord Jesus. We know that his first coming began to establish his kingdom and at the end his kingdom will fully be fully established when Jesus returns. At that moment it won't just happen for individuals and it won't just be a sign of future hope. It'll be that future hope breaking into the present such that everyone has it and there will be no more pain, no more tears and no more death for all of us together. That is God's promise made through Isaiah, acted out in the life of Jesus continued by his disciples as they, anointed by the Spirit, live like he did. And if we successfully manage to embrace our own weaknesses, our own moments of pain, and let Jesus comfort us in those times, we become those who carry, express, and act out hope to those going through pain at the moment. This is a life of significance that even I, feeling myself relatively insignificant, can live and embrace as God calls me to do it. So before we move on to communion, which is of course a way in which we both look back and look forward, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon each of us. Because it is by the Spirit that we are enabled as Jesus was, 
to be and to live like this. So as you sit, I encourage you to be in that open posture of receiving. And to offer your life afresh to the Lord. It may be pain of the present. Be honest. It may be pain of the past. Be honest. I want you then to thank Jesus that he's able to comfort and provide. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is who you are. The God who comes into our pain to comfort and provide. So I ask you this morning, Lord Jesus, that you'd bind up every broken-hearted person listening to this message. Thank you. And at the same time, it is by the Spirit that we're enabled to live like Jesus also and become those who will restore the cities that have been ruined for generations. So by your Spirit, Lord, I pray that you'd anoint each of us, that despite with and through our own pain and through those experiences that you have when you have come to comfort and provide we will have a story to tell we'll have hearts full of love and the anointing of your spirit to bring hope to others anoint us that your work of transforming lives would continue in and through us, your people, today. Thank you, Lord, that you should choose even me. And if you can, I would like you to say that to the Lord now. Thank you, Lord, that you should choose even me. And now, identifying with everybody else on the call, thank you, Lord, that you should choose us at St. Saviour's. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well, I hope that you did what Matt asked you to do earlier, and that is to have got some bread and some wine, because this is the moment where we are going to look back and... Uh, to what Jesus done on the cross, look around us now remembering that he's alive today and then look ahead to his coming when we know that his kingdom will fully come.
So <clears throat> um, we might have some slides coming up on the screen, I think, um, to one or two things that you can join in with as I lead us in one or two um, prayers and statements. And uh, I thought I'd just start with this little scripture from 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. So, dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love one another. So, just look around the screen and just think, I'm going to love these guys. I'm going to love them in a way beyond perhaps I've ever loved them before. Um, when they're weak, I'm going to stand alongside them. When they're strong, I'm going to learn from them. Together, we're going to connect, carry on the work, the ministry of Jesus. And let's declare together, I'm going to say the words in white. You, you join in with the words in yellow. The Lord of love came from heaven to reveal his love for us. The Lord of love gave his life on the cross to set us free from the shackles of sin. The Lord of love pours his spirit out upon his people to enable us to extend his love to others. And the Lord of love is here right now, present with us and changing each of us today. I'm going to leave these those three statements for a minute and we're going to just remember what Jesus prayed but in the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to his heavenly father. And as I'm doing this, you can do it too. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat for this is my body, which is given for you. And do this in remembrance of me. And so we say together to you, Lord Jesus, be glory and praise forever. And now uh, I encourage you to take the bread and eat it at this point. And if you're joining as a group, as a family, this is the moment to give it to each other, thanking the Lord for his love for you. And even at the very moment you do that, also expressing your love for one another. Thank you, Lord. You did this for us. And then, <clears throat> in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks to his heavenly Father and he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So together, to you, Lord Jesus, be glory and praise forever. And now you'll take it yourself. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're with others, each of you, knowing again the wonder of the forgiveness 
that God embraces us with, cleanses us with, and empowers us with. And so we say, as we look back, Christ has died. As we look around us today, Christ is risen. And as we look to the future, Christ will come again. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray. And in that spirit of looking forward to his return and living lives appropriately and significantly with the same ministry and mission that he had, we pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And through him, we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to love others as you have loved us and to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. So I'm handing back to Matt now. <laughs>